get the kids involved because what's happening this week, kids? School begins. And all the parents said, amen. Just kidding. Well, welcome to Gateway. It's great to see everybody this morning. For all those in the gymnasium, we welcome you as well. Those that are at home, we're so glad you're able to be with us this morning. Uh, school is kicking off this week in Montgomery. And I just have one announcement in regarding that. Every Wednesday of the week, school begins. We've normally met in here for a time of prayer, intercession, just encourage the kids, the youth, any students going back. And due to the situation still with COVID, we're just not able to gather in small groups and get all over the sanctuary. So what Pastor Grady has done, and we're very excited about it, we're wanting to encourage you this Wednesday night as families to get together in your homes with your kids and maybe even invite some friends over, some that may have hung out during the pandemic and you're okay with that. Uh, we have these prayer guides, these prayer lists that we have put together. Uh, there's a stack here at this door. There's a stack in the gymnasium lobby as well as the office lobby here um, to be able to go through these prayer points with scriptures and pray for our students, to pray for the teachers, professors, all those involved with the administration to prepare for this year's schooling. So we really encourage you to do that this Wednesday night um, as we're still going through this season of uncertainty to, before we can get back together as a church family during this time during the week. Also want to bring up something I'm looking at. Where's Ethan Wyden? In the back, Ethan, stand up. This young man just got engaged last night. We're very excited for he and Sarah. We love him. Ethan's on staff here. He's such a joy and has been such a godsend for our church. He does so much with computers and social media and our uh, database and all those sorts of things. But we love him. So congratulations. Very excited for you and Sarah. If I ask you to please stand this morning as we prepare to enter into the throne room of grace and just want to breathe this scripture over us. Before we begin this morning, Psalms 147, verses 1 through 11. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, he determines the number of the stars, and he gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens they cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's worship the Lord together. So remember your people. 
that sought us out, gave us eyes to see our sin, Lord, gave us a new heart to be able to accept your son and follow him and turn away from our past life, Lord. The fact that we can even sing this morning, Lord, is a testimony to your grace and your mercy. Lord, we praise you that we're joining in a song that has already began and doesn't stop, Lord. It's in your presence, Lord. That's what we long for, Lord. We, we're only living on this earth at a time, Lord. So when we gather here this morning, Lord, I just pray you would give us an awareness of that heavenly just gathering and worshiping before you. Prepare our hearts for that, Lord, as we worship this morning. Lord, it's with your mercy and grace and kindness toward us in mind that we want to lift up prayer requests to you this morning, Lord. You, you say you love to hear our needs, Lord, you want to care for us and help us, Lord, so we want to honor that, Lord, and look to you. Like CJ mentioned this morning, Lord, um, school is getting ready to start, so we want to lift up our students here at Gateway. Lord, um, stepping forward into a school year, Lord, can be an intimidating thing, much less during this uh, turbulent time, Lord, so I just pray for energy, focus, in our students' lives, Lord, so they can do the work you've called them to do. Help them see how working hard in school is an act of worship before you. And I pray for the parents of these students, Lord, that you would help them to be patient and gracious with their students, Lord, and give them an example to follow in how they do their work and their job is a testimony that the kids can look at and see that that's how they're supposed to work as well. We also think of the Capitol Heights families that we're uh, so fortunate to be able to support, Lord, and Seth and Megan Rodebeck as they continue to lead out in that ministry. Lord, we just praise you for the continued opportunities you've been pouring out before us, Lord, to be able to care for those that are in need in this city. I pray for more gospel conversations in these families, Lord. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see if they don't know you, Lord. They can hear the message of the gospel and run to you for mercy and forgiveness. Lord, as we often do, Lord, we also want to pray for our government and our leaders in this country. Lord, as we continue to try to make decisions about things opening up or staying closed, Lord, we just pray for wisdom in our government, Lord. We pray for humility. Lord, it's um, no surprise that as the election year is closer, Lord, there's more anger, there's more bitterness amongst the leaders, Lord, and amongst the people of this country, Lord. We just pray that as Christians, we can be a witness to show how to act in civility and love and gentleness, Lord, and also that... This country is not our home, Lord. We're so fortunate to live here, Lord, but I pray that as we pray for our nation, we would have that in mind, Lord, that this is just a temporary place. Lord, we also want to pray for around the world as we do every morning. First, Lord, um, Helena in India, the school and ministry to the women in India that we were able to support here at Gateway. Lord, we pray for her and the workers there. We pray your spirit would just fill them and energize them this morning, give them fresh and renewed vision for your glory and the worthiness of serving you, Lord. Help them be able to meet needs there and to share the gospel and bring truth to hurting people. And Lord, thinking of people that don't know your name, Lord, we just confess that our heart does not break enough for the people that don't know you, Lord. Give us more, than, more of an awareness for them, Lord. Give us more of a desire to live our lives in a way to further your gospel to those people. And this morning, we want to particularly pray for the people of North Korea. 
toward a country that is so often towards the top of the list and the most unreached and if ours to get into countries Lord to bring the gospel to Lord we just pray God that the gospel would penetrate the darkness Lord largely through South Korea Lord being so close Lord we just pray that South Korea Christians family friends or missionaries would be able to share the gospel with North Korean people Lord we know that gospel can't be stopped. Your church cannot lose, God. It will spread to all peoples as you promise. We pray we will be faithful to you in that mission. And Lord, thinking of here at Gateway, Lord, we pray for the offering that has already been given or people may give today and online. Lord, we just pray that we would give with joyful hearts. We pray that you would use this money that you've already given to us to steward, Lord, but we want to give it to you to forward your kingdom here in Montgomery and in Gateway, Lord, we just thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the people here that seek after you, Lord, that we're, that we're just simply wanting to glorify you, Lord. Make disciples of people here in Montgomery and build each other up in this church so your name would be great and honored, Lord. We do not have any agenda of our own, Lord. We just want you to be made great here. Lord, we lastly pray for Grady, Lord. Thank you for his part to base his life and ministry and his sermons week in and week out on your word, Lord. Lord, that is such a blessing, God. We can look around and see so many different preachers and leaders in different churches, Lord, that step up to give their ideas and their opinions, Lord. But we thank you that we have leaders in this church here at Gateway that want to give us your word and your truth, Lord. So we pray you would open our ears to hear, Lord, expose our sin and point us to your son. His beauty, His glory, His name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you, Preston, for those prayers. Like you heard last week, this is Preston and Michelle's last Sunday with us. They are moving to North Carolina with Michelle's new job, and they will be greatly missed. We didn't mention it earlier, but at the end of the service, Preston and Michelle, we'd love for you during our final song to come down front and Parker and Seth and some of your friends and some of the leaders church, we'd love to come lay hands on you and pray for you and send you out as you start this, this new chapter in your life. So we're grateful for your two years of investment here. Thank you, guys. Well, Gateway family, it's been a hard week for us around Gateway. We've had the departure of two staff members, and we know that was unexpected. And many of you have questions and are struggling, and I want to let you know we're going to walk this journey with you hand in hand together. And God's grace is going to see us through. Yet in the midst of what may not make sense right now, friends, we already see God's grace at work. And one of those expressions of grace I've been studying and praying and reflecting this week is the book of the Bible that God has us in in our study on Sunday mornings. If you're new to Gateway, we're in the middle of a long journey through James, just like we do long journeys through all of our studies of the books. So we're 24 weeks into James, and we're finishing up chapter 3 this morning. And in the providence of God, friends, As we walk through some hard days right now, God has led us to the book of the Bible that perhaps more than any other helps us practically walk through difficult days. It helps us practically know how to keep our eyes on Christ in the midst of hardships when life doesn't always make sense. As we begin this morning, I just want to remind you of some truths from James that help us navigate even some of the challenges we're facing right now. I remind you, first of all, and you'll have these on the screen, or you can follow along in your copy of God's Word, but God has already told us in James, when we start off at the beginning, that we will have trials of many kinds. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He's already told us to count it all joy, my brothers, not if, but what's that word? When you meet trials of various kinds. And how is that possible? Verse 3 tells us, for you know that the testing of your faith 
but he's a steadfastness. That God and his sovereign plans takes even hardships and brokenness in the world to test our faith, to grow us, to mature us, so that we become more steadfast. Then in verse 4, he says, Let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and incomplete, lacking in Nothing. So God's already told us that life's not going to be easy. But he's promised not to leave us alone as we walk through the hardships of life. Verse 5, he's promised to give us wisdom in this. This is an amazing promise in James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, without any type of correction, and it will be given to him. So as we walk through difficult days, God has promised not only that he's going to use them for our good, he's promised to give us the wisdom we need to navigate it. But even more than that, friends, when life doesn't make sense and life is hard, whether individually in our families or even in the church, he turns our hearts to eternity and helps us realize that these trials are but a blip in the scope of something much bigger. James chapter 1, verse 12, let me remind you what we saw several months ago. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. Yes, we may be in some hard days, friends, but there's something much better coming. In the midst of these trials, God's going to bring good, and he's going to let us receive the crown of life. He turns our focus from the immediate to the eternal, and we need that reminder. Yet James also gets really practical for us, because he knows that when we're hurting and when we have questions and when things don't make sense, we can get ourselves in trouble very quickly with our tongues. We can hurt ourselves, and we can hurt others with our speech. So he quickly, after warning us about how hard life can be, he takes us back to the warning about our speech. James chapter 1, verse 19, and what a great reminder for us. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And friends, this is such a neat reminder. Just a few verses later, he repeats that in chapter 1, verse 26. And he tells us, if anyone thinks he has religion and does not, what's this next word? Bridle his tongue, control his tongue. But deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So he tells us in the midst of walking through hardships, keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our eyes on eternity. Ask God for wisdom. He will give it. Keep your eyes on eternity and then bridle our tongues. And yet in the midst of all this, he doesn't let us just sit by passively just thinking about the circumstances and the hardships. He calls us to step out in faith and to keep loving others and doing good. James chapter 2, verse 8. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And so James calls us, and then the rest of chapter 2, he cautions us against only loving people who are just like us. And he calls us as a church to step out and to love one another proactively, not waiting for people to come to us, but us stepping out to care for one another and meet one another's needs during this season. Friends, that's just a sampling, but I'm so thankful for how God's Word helps us navigate even tough days. In light of that, friends, we're going to press on with our study of James this morning as we continue to see wisdom for us as we walk through everything we face in life, including even some of the challenges we as a church face right now. So if you find James chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word, James chapter 3 this morning. Now, what we've been seeing in James in the two weeks before Preston gave us his final charge last week, we've been looking at James's teaching about wisdom. Now, let me just remind you, we kind of get our minds re-engaged in what we're seeing, because today is the conclusion of James's teaching on wisdom. Wisdom is God-given discernment about the practical issues of life. Wisdom is God-given discernment. It comes from God. It's God-given about the practical issues of life. It's knowing how to navigate, how to drive through, so to speak, life circumstances. If you think back three weeks ago, we also defined wisdom by saying it's knowing the right thing to do and then doing it. Wisdom is not, I know the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do it. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do, and then I'm going to step out and do it. Now, to help us understand wisdom, James uses an interesting teaching style here. We can kind of miss this because we've taken three weeks to look at one paragraph here. But what James does in this one paragraph, he uses a grammatical structure called ABA. 
he introduces A, what wisdom is. That was verse 13, two weeks ago. Then switches to B, what wisdom is not. That was verses 14, 15, 16. Then today in verses 17, he goes back to A. He repeats A again to show us once again what wisdom is. So an ABA pattern of his teaching. And so he's showing us what wisdom is, what wisdom is not. Now back today to what wisdom is. So because it's one flow of thought, let's refresh ourselves of what we've seen. A, what is wisdom? Go back to verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. When we have God's wisdom, it produces in us not only holiness, but it produces in us humility, gentleness in our life. That was the A. Then he switches to the B part, what wisdom is not. He gives the contrast to help us understand it. That was two weeks ago, verses 14 through 16. Look back at those. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There's the contrast. A, what is wisdom? What well, shows in holiness and in humility. B, what's the contrast? It's, if you don't have wisdom, it shows in this disorder that's caused from it. It shows in being false to the truth. Now he returns to the A, what is wisdom again? That brings us to verses 17 and 18 this morning. So as we read our text this morning, friends, we want to ask the question we've been asking the last two weeks. How do we know if we have godly wisdom? And we live in a world, friends, where everyone claims to have wisdom, where people all around are claiming to be wise and the experts on everything. How do we know if we have wisdom? So as we read our text this morning, be looking for the answer of how we know if we have wisdom. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. The words will be on the screen, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I'm thankful that in your providence, we're in the book of James right now. Lord, just how this speaks so much to what we all need to hear and what I need to hear this morning. And God, we just thank you for giving us your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray this morning your word would encourage us and would convict us and help us and just guide us and use it to grow us and sanctify us individually and as a church as well. And we'll give you the praise for what you're going to do, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. James 3, 17 and 18. If previously James showed us that wisdom is shown in holiness and in humility, this morning he's going to show us another evidence of having wisdom that has everything to do with peace. Everything to do with our experience of peace. So this is what I want you to see this morning from these two verses. Simply this, friends. Believers who have God's wisdom experience peace and long for peace. The believers who have God's wisdom experience peace. Peace in our hearts. Peace with God. Peace internally. But also we long for peace with others. So once again, the key of this is James's idea that if we know God, if he has given to us his wisdom, it will change us. It'll produce fruit, which means it'll produce transformation and change in our life. And one of the fruits of walking with God, one of the fruits of having wisdom from above, is it produces in us peace, shalom, wholeness, steadfastness, regardless of what's happening in our circumstances around us. Because I want to remind us of something I've said many times before. God never promises life will be easy. That's one of the great lies that's propagated throughout so much of American Christianity. Friends, God's goal for us is not to get us from birth to death in the easiest, happiest, most comfortable, wealthiest, pain-free way possible. Nothing in Scripture ever promises that. But God promises something so much better than an easy life. 
He promises to be with us as we walk the hardships. He promises to give us wisdom, and he promises to give us peace no matter what is in turmoil around us. And so I want you to see this morning that when we have God's wisdom, he not only gives us peace, but he also gives us a longing for peace. So let's unpack that together this morning, friends. Notice again the key idea of this whole paragraph we've been in for three weeks is God's wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God. Go back to verse 17 and look at how James begins here. But the wisdom from above. Stop right there and let's unpack that. We live in a world where lots of people claim to have wisdom, where lots of people claim to have the monopoly on truth and understanding of situations. But God says there's only one true source of wisdom. It's not in me. It's not in you. The only true source of wisdom is not going to be found in anything the world offers. It's going to come solely from God and from God alone. Why is that, friends? Well, this is important here. Don't miss this. Wisdom is a reflection of the character of God. Wisdom is not something tangential added on to God. Wisdom is a reflection of his very character. Now, we talk a lot about the attributes of God. It's one of my favorite things to study, and I've taught on it here before. We talk about the attributes, the characteristics, the nature of God. This is us trying to summarize all the things that make up the character of God. And we talk about God being love, and God being holy, and God being just, and God being merciful. And we could go on and on through the attributes of God. Well, can I just remind us, when we think about attributes of God, it's not like you have God here, and here's his love, and here's his mercy, and here's his justice, and all these things. It's not like added on to God. When you look at God, here's God who is love, God who is fully holy, God who's fully merciful, God who's fully wrathful. God is fully all these attributes all the time. And one of those attributes that describes the very nature of God is God is wise. That wisdom is not just something added on to God, not just something peripheral to God. Wisdom is at the core of the nature of who God is. It's his characteristic. It's his nature. Look how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. This is an amazing text to meditate on and chew on. Oh, the depths of the riches and the what? And the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The depths of the riches of this, friends, that his wisdom is so great, is so such a part of who he is at the core of his being, we can't even begin to find adequate words to describe it. The depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Friends, who has been his counselor? God has all wisdom. We do not. Verse 35, Paul continues. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You can see Paul, just when he thinks about the wisdom of God, it leads him to ask these questions of, we don't have this. Only God has this type of wisdom. And it leads him to this explanation for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Friends, when God has wisdom, God is all wise. You realize the comfort of that? That means that God has never made a mistake. God has never once in heaven been like, oops, sorry about that. The type of things I say to my kids, God never has to say, oh, daddy didn't see that one coming. Sorry about that. God never does that. God makes no mistakes. He has perfect wisdom in all things. And so he always chooses the best ends. But don't miss his friends. He also chooses the best means to get there. Even though our finite human limited wisdom doesn't always understand, God chooses in his sovereign plans the, the best ends. And he chooses the best means to get there because he has all wisdom. God will always do what is right. And his wisdom is so great. Look at how Paul describes it later in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God. Now, that, there's no foolishness in God. He's making a point here, okay? If there was foolishness in God and there's not, it would be wiser than men. So if there was any hint of possibility, which there's not, of foolishness in God, it would be wiser than the wisest scholars on this earth put together. 
in the weakness of God, again, there is no weakness in God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But if there was weakness in God, which there's not, it would be stronger than the strongest armies on earth all put together. He is that wise. It's who he is. But what's so amazing, friends, this God who is all-wise, who has all wisdom, wants to share his wisdom with us. Not just wants to. He delights in sharing his wisdom with us. Back to the attributes of God. When we talk about the attributes of God, we group them into two categories. And this is not new. You've heard this before, but I want to remind us this. Some of God's attributes we call the incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable, meaning he does not share them with his creation. So, for instance, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God doesn't share that with us. Now, that would be really nice sometimes, right? But God doesn't let us be omnipresent. We don't share that. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. None of us are all-powerful. You know, God knows everything. He's omniscient. We're not omniscient. So there's attributes of God that are unique to him that nothing else in all creation shares. But some of his attributes, we call them the communicable attributes. They're attributes of God that he delights in sharing with his creation, particularly us as his people. And so that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. He shares some of his attributes in part, not in full, with us. So God is love. And he calls us to walk in love. God is mercy. He calls us to show mercy. God is a God of justice. And he calls us to fight for justice. And on wisdom, God is wise. And he calls us to walk in wisdom. And he delights in giving us wisdom in this. That God, who is all wise, is being delights in giving and sharing this part of his nature with us. So he tells us to ask for it. James chapter 1, verse 5. Think of what we saw early in our study. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives, what's the next word? He gives generously. God is inviting us to come to the one who is all wise because he wants to pour out his wisdom into our lives. And he reminds us a few verses later when we receive wisdom from him that we do not deserve. When he gives us any grace gift from him, it's solely from him. Verse 17 in chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift, as anything you can experience, including wisdom, is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So friends, God is all wise and he delights in giving us his wisdom. Now, when we receive that wisdom that's a reflection of his character, what happens to us? It changes us. It transforms us. It radically alters our lives. We saw before that if we have God's wisdom, it makes us holier. It gives us humility. It gives us gentleness in our lives. But now he's going to show us it gives us peace. I want you to see that in our text this morning, that God's wisdom gives us peace. Look at verse 18, back in James 3. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, notice this phrase here, it is sown in peace. This is describing the experience of the person that James is describing. This is the experience of the one who is walking in God's wisdom. As one author I read this week described this way, he said, God's wisdom creates within us an atmosphere of peace. Let that sink in. That when we walk in God's wisdom, it creates within us an atmosphere of peace. That our souls don't have to be in a frenzy. That we can be stable even in the hardships. And friends, this is nothing new in Scripture. When we study John, which I know if you've been around Gateway Wilds, it seems like a long time because it was three years ago. But John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus told us the same thing. What's that first word? What does he leave with us? Peace I leave with you. My what? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That Jesus gives us, within ourselves, an atmosphere of peace. Now, what do we mean by peace? Well, friends, in our culture, we often think of peace as the absence of conflict. We think of peace as the absence of turmoil or the absence of hardships. That's how our culture defines peace. That's not how Scripture 
defines peace. Scripture approaches peace in a very different way. It's not the absence of something, but it's the presence of something. The peace is not missing something for your life. Peace is rather a positive blessing you have received. So often in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, it's called shalom. The idea of peace is a wholeness. It's a steadiness that comes from God. As I've been chewing on that idea of we have peace, is manifest in two ways. There's two aspects of this internal peace you and I can have. Number one, this peace is the blessing of peace with God. It's a, it's a sense of a vertical relationship with God, that we can have peace with God. That we're not under his wrath anymore. That we're not estranged from him. That we're not separated from him. Because of what Christ has done for us, he's taken us in all of our brokenness and our sin and reconciled us and restored us to a right relationship with God. So we can approach him, like we saw in James 1, without fear of reproach, without fear of correction. Because when we approach him, we're covered in Christ's righteousness and all of our sins have been paid for. So we have peace with God. We never have to fear entering the presence of the Holy One, the great I Am, because we have peace with Him because of what Christ has done. But another aspect of this peace, again, the second of all, this idea of shalom or peace is the blessing of an internal peace we experience in our hearts and our souls. An internal peace we experience within us. The idea of being whole and stable and sound and steadfast and not in a frenzy, even when life is hard, even in our difficult days. So how does knowing God and how does having his wisdom give us an internal peace that's not circumstantial? Well, Jesus tells us well in John chapter 10, if we go back just a few chapters in John, what we looked at several years ago, John chapter 10, verse 27, how does God's wisdom give us peace? Think about this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Just pause on that for a minute, friends. If we know Christ and we have peace with God, we now hear the voice of our creator. We now hear the voice of the one who's called us out of darkness into light. And he doesn't just call us out of darkness into light and stop speaking to us at that point. He continues to use his word and his Holy Spirit to bring truth into our lives. So my sheep hear my voice. Friends, this is not based on circumstances. And I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, he carries on. I give them eternal life. And listen to this. They will never perish. And no one. How many is no one? No one. Like, there's no enemy. It's not even Satan himself can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Do you realize how that gives us peace? Because we know that God's going to keep guiding us. We know that God's going to hold us. We know that God is with us. And we know that he's working even our trials for our good. That he's so sovereign and so big and so in control and knows the best ends and the best means. That he's working all the, even the mess of life for his glory and for our good. So we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be in a panic. We don't have to be in a frenzy. God's wisdom gives us peace with him and an internal settled peace within our hearts. Now, if you like old hymns, if you think back to the hymn from the 1800s, It Is Well With My Soul, hopefully a lot of you have heard this one over the years. But think about what the words of that, because that describes what James is trying to describe right here as well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and notice he gives a contrast, but when sorrows like sea billows roll. So whether it's an easy day or whether we're in a day of sorrows rolling, whatever it is, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The author of this hymn is describing what James is describing here, that regardless of our circumstances, whether it's a peaceful day or whether sorrows like sea billows roll, that we can still say, it is well with my soul, because we know that God is with us, that God is guiding us, that God is holding us, and God is working the mess for his good, for his glory and for our good as well. That's, that's, that hymn writer continues, though Satan should buffet, the trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. 
and to re-anchor us in the truth of how we can have that internal peace. This old hymn says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. That my sin, not in part, but the whole, it is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Friends, that's what James is describing for us, a peace that we can have even the good days and also when sorrows like sea billows rolls. The peace we can have when life is easy and we're walking in victory and the peace we can have even when the enemy is pressing hard against us. That is what it's talking about, that God gives us a peace, a settledness in our heart, not dependent on our circumstances. Now, there's an important disclaimer, an important clarification before we move on. Because this type of peace is only possible for followers of Christ. This type of peace is anchored in the fact that we know Christ. This is not something that you can just offer to any lost person on the street. This is something unique to followers of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, and we saw Ephesians last year, anchors us back to this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And when we've been covered by the blood of Christ and our sins have been forgiven, we've been given Christ's righteousness, we have the ability to now have peace. Verse 14, for he himself is our what? He himself is our what? He is our peace, friends. This is not a peace that anyone in the world can have. This is a peace for followers of Christ, that he gives into our hearts a peace that can only come from knowing him, a settledness that can only come from knowing him. Friends, if you don't know Christ in a real, personal way that gives you peace, regardless of the the waves and hardships of life, I want to plead with you this morning to start there. That is the only way the rest of this peace is possible. But James isn't done yet because the type of peace that we have inside of us leads us to want to have peace Others as well, and, and Paul referenced that in Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, and he has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. As he's writing in that context to the church that had Jews and Gentiles, both two groups that hated one another. And he says, despite how the world differs over these ethnic backgrounds, Christ breaks down those walls. That Christ, because you have peace with God, he can now create peace with one another. And that's where James is going to go next as well. Not only does having God's wisdom give us peace in ourselves, it also leads us to long for peace with one another. Now, let me just remind you to go back to James chapter 3, that making peace is not our default position. We saw that back in verse 16, that our default position, our hearts are full of jealousy, our hearts are full of selfish ambition, and it leads to all sorts of disorder. Our default state in our flesh is to follow what the world and the enemy shows, and that is to create division, not to make peace. But that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God calls us to. So go back to verse 18 this morning. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, think about that for a minute. Those of us who've experienced the grace of God should want to extend that grace to others. Those of us who've experienced the peace of God, the settledness of our heart and soul, should be people who want to share that peace and that settledness with others. Now, how do we practically do that? That sounds great, but what does it look like to be a people who want to make peace? Well, that's where verse 17 comes in, the previous verse of our text this morning, James shows us seven practical manifestations in our life that, that, that show a longing to make peace. Look back at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Friends, in this verse are seven things that we should desire in our lives. In this verse are seven things that we need to ask God to produce in us as we walk into wisdom. These are seven things we need to cry out to God to fill us with His Holy Spirit, to make in us that do not come from our own flesh. So look briefly at these seven things that should be the overflow of having peace with God. Number one is pure, back in verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure. Why does it say first here? Because this is foundational. Everything else that's going to follow comes out of this. It's dealing with our heart motivations. The word pure here means a heart that's devoted to God. 
a heart that is single-minded in loving God and in longing for God. And out of the overflow of that pure heart towards God comes a desire for what you might call moral purity, of a growing Christ-likeness in our thoughts, a growing Christ-likeness in our speech, a growing Christ-likeness in our actions. And this is foundational, friends, and that's why he says first here, because if our hearts lack devotion to God, if our hearts are consumed with sinful longings, everything else that follows is not possible. If our heart is divided, if our heart is consumed with sinful longings, the rest of these six things will not flow. So if we want to be peacemakers, we need to begin by realizing that because of what Christ has done, we are already pure in God's eyes. And because of that, we should start crying out for God to give us pure hearts that long for single-minded devotion to Him. We should have hearts that long to grow in holiness before Him. The wisdom from above is first pure. Number two, though, it says it is also peaceable. You can literally translate this word peace-loving. And what a great description. The, this, out of this pure heart that loves God comes a desire to be peace-loving. Again, this is nothing new. We study Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. We saw this in our study of Ephesians, where Paul describes us as a people who should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Out of a heart that loves God flows a heart that loves peace in relationships. So it's pure, it's peaceful. Now he gets into some of the more practical outworkings of those. Number three here, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful. Number three, it is gentle. It is gentle. If you want a short description of that word, one of the scholars I was reading this week said it literally means non-combative. Non-combative. We looked at an article a few weeks ago, I quoted for you, that also means not easily angered, not easily offended, that we're gentle. And how is that possible? Well, I hope you read that article I emailed you a few weeks ago and that we had around the campus a few, the last few weeks. That we're able to be gentle if we understand that our dignity is given and guarded by God. That we don't have to preserve our own dignity, that God preserves it. It's possible we realize that God is the one who maintains our cause, that we don't have to maintain it ourselves. And again, I hope you'll go back and find that article. If you need a copy, email us. We'll be glad to send it to you again. But this is gentle. We are not easily angered or offended. So a heart that has God's wisdom that leads to peace with God and leads to peace in our soul, it should lead to a longing for peace with others that comes from purity, that comes from a peace-loving, that comes from being gentle. Number four, it means, he said, it also comes from being open to reason. The wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle. Number four, again, is open to reason. Now, we can misunderstand that today and assume this is the person who's the pushover, right? The person who will just go along with whatever else wants to go along with. That's not what this text means. This phrase, open to reason, means a person who listens carefully instead of attacking. This is a person who really desires to understand the situation. So they're going to lock in and listen and try to hear your heart and try to engage with you on that. It's open to reason. It's pure. It's peaceful. It's, you know, it's open to reason. Number five in this list, it is full of mercy and good fruit. It's full of mercy and good fruit. That simply means it's someone who shows kindness to others. It's someone who wants to proactively bless others, even when they can get nothing back. And this is not a new theme in James. We've seen it all along the way, but James chapter 1, verse 27, he's already told us religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, why, why does he go down that route? Because he's taking the people who can't give you anything back and saying, you go bear this fruit of kindness, show this mercy to the mercy and give fruits to those who can never repay you. So a peaceful desire for peace shows itself in being pure, being peaceable and being gentle, being open to reason, being full of mercy, good fruits. Number six, being impartial, being impartial. You could translate this word to be consistent. That means you act the same way in different settings. You're not one way with one group and another way with another group. It's not treating one group differently than another. It's simply now building off the idea here of being full of mercy and good fruits. It's the person who wants to show good mercy to anyone God puts in their life with no partiality. 
And there's one more word on this list in verse 17 that should describe us. The wisdom of above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's impartial. And the last word, it is sincere. sincere. Now, this is a really hard word to translate in the Greek, but it means unwavering. It means being undivided. It means having a single perspective. This is what James has been talking about all the way along in our study through James. This is walking out our faith and sincerity, actually desiring to live out what we claim that we believe. And friends, if you think about these seven virtues that should show up in our lives as we have peace with God, as we have peace within our hearts because of the Holy Spirit within us, these are the seven things that should be produced by God working in us. And as God grows these in us, I want to remind you of an amazing promise that goes with these. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. What's that first word there? What's the first word? Blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Friends, by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, we more and more exhibit these seven things in our life. As more and more we have pure hearts and, and a desire for peace, as we are gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere, the more we do that, friends, the more we are reflecting the character of God and the more it becomes visible to all God's nature as He works through us in all of these things. Now, there's two important clarifications about being peacemakers here that we need to understand from this text. Number one, a desire for peace does not lead to passivity. A desire for peace does not lead to passivity. Friends, over the years in doing marriage counseling with couples, one of the things that I've seen is texts like this used incorrectly in people's minds to justify not speaking to their spouse about sinful things in their lives or areas of concern. Because being a peacemaker does not mean you are passive. If you want another term for that, that's a peace faker. The difference in being a peace faker and being a peacemaker. A peace faker is unwilling to confront sin because they want this veneer of peace and harmony. But a peacemaker loves someone enough to, in love and humility, with verse 17, with pure, peaceable, gentle, openness to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartiality, and sincerity, go to a person, to go to your spouse, to go to your friend, to go to your small group member, and say, hey, I love you, I'm concerned about you, let's talk about it. Being a, Desiring to be a peacemaker does not lead to passivity. Christ, the ultimate peacemaker, did not shy away from talking to people about their sin, and nor did he command us to do otherwise. Think about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we saw some time ago. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So how do we avoid, verse 14, how do we avoid being tossed by the waves? How do we avoid wrong thinking? How do we avoid sin? Well, verse 15 tells us. Rather, what are we supposed to do? What's the next word? Speaking. That tells us to be peacemakers, to speak to people, to speak the truth, but in what? In love. Friends, there's so much, again, especially between husbands and wives or parents and kids, where we're unwilling to speak the truth in love, and we do so under the guise of thinking we're peacemaking. We're not. We're peacemaking. Peacemaking is this, speaking the truth in love to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Likewise, Paul tells the same thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, what's the next word? Gentleness. There we go. Same thing that James is getting at here. But keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Desire for peace does not lead to passivity. There's a second disclaimer that we need to understand as well. The desire for peace does not always lead to peace. This is dealing with our heart affections. This is dealing with how we approach things. And we will give an account to God for how we live out verses 17 and 18. But friends, we live in a broken world. We can approach situations. Husbands and wives can approach their spouse with a verse 17 attitude. A parent can approach a child with a verse 17 type attitude. Friends can approach friends with a verse 17 attitude, and it can go awful. Because we can only control 
what's within us by God's grace. We can't control how the other person will respond. Paul gets this Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, it doesn't stop there. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Notice his two phrases. First of all, if possible. Friends, that means it's not always possible. We long for peace. We pray for peace. We work towards peace, but it is not always possible. So what are we accountable for then? As far as it depends on you. Friends, we will not give an account before the Lord for how the other person responds. We will give an account before the Lord for as far as it depends on you. We're going to give an account before the Lord. Did we seek to be have wisdom from above that will lead us to be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? Just pull all that back together, friends. Believers who have God's wisdom experience peace and long for peace. Believers who have God's wisdom experience internal peace, peace with God and a settledness despite the hardships of life. But they also long for relational peace with others. So I want to ask you a few questions this morning, friends. Number one, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Like I said earlier, friends, this is the foundation. Do you have a heart that knows God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he has done for you, that you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. Friends, if you don't have peace with God, friends, everything else we're talking about is not possible. So start there. Second question, do you have internal peace today? Not based on circumstances, not peace today because life is going well and things are smooth, but do you have a peace that's stable in your heart, a shalom, a wholeness, regardless of your circumstances, because you know that God is with you. Because you know the Holy Spirit is filling you. Because you know that God loves you. Because you know that God is guiding you and that no one can snatch you out of his hands. Friends, if you're lacking in that, cry out to God. He delights in giving you his peace. And jump into the scriptures. Because the scriptures have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts about the promise of the nearness of God. And so chew on and think on the nearness of God and let that give you peace regardless of your circumstances. But question number three, friends. How are we doing longing for peace with others? How are we doing longing with peace with others? Because we want to go deeper in that. There's a great book in the Resource Center. I know I'm always trying to push books on you. But there's a great book in the Resource Center called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's really shaped a lot of my thinking on a lot of these, these topics of peace. He has three categories for us in that. He says all of us fall into one of these three today. And these are, I already referenced some of them. But number one, we might be peace fakers. People who are unwilling to do the hard things, to have that hard conversation with our spouse, with our kids, with our friend. There's more of this veneer of harmony when we're not really tackling the underlying issues. There's a possibility we're peace fakers. There's a possibility as well that we're peace breakers. Once we do the opposite of verse 17, that we get angry and we yell and we whatever else you can imagine. We've looked at those in verses 14, 15, and 16. But the other category by the grace of God is we can be peacemakers. People who have experienced God's wisdom, people who have experienced wholeness in our heart and stability of God's circumstances leads us to long for and seek out and pursue making peace with others. Friends, where are we today? Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that your word encourages us where we need encouragement. We're so thankful that your word convicts us where we need conviction. And Lord, we're thankful that your word never returns void. So Lord, in my heart this morning, in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, would your word have your way in our lives? Would your Holy Spirit who fills us take your word and apply it to each one of our circumstances, each one of our lives, that you might grow us and sanctify us in being who you want us to be? And Lord, this morning, we want to just simply say thank you. Thank you that you have given us peace with you. That's something that we could never have gotten to, no matter how much we tried, God, we could never have found peace with you. But you did the impossible. You gave us peace with you. You've reconciled us to yourself, and you took us your enemy 
You now seated us at your table. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. But we also want to say thank you this morning, Lord, that you give us peace within ourselves, a peace that's not circumstantial, a peace that we can have even when life is really hard. What a grace gift that is to us, your children. And I pray today for those in this church family and those who are watching online who are struggling because of the trials and the hardships of life, that you would give them a settledness, a shalom, a, just a wholeness in their heart today. Perhaps they've not felt in a while. And they'll find peace that comes from knowing that you love them, that you're holding them, that you're guiding them, and even these in the hardships that grieve them, sanctify them and grow them and to bring good to them and your glory as well. So would you just anchor us in these truths and would you show us or how we can be peacemakers? Can I give much grace for, to, for us to seek forgiveness for how we've been peacebreakers? Can I give us much grace to seek forgiveness for ways we try to be peacefakers? Would you take us, your people, and make us a people who long for peace with others? Lord, in all this, we realize none of this is possible in our own strength, Lord. It's only come about with you doing the impossible in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, we know and we rejoice this morning knowing that you are the one holding us and you are the one accomplishing what we could never accomplish. So Lord, I pray as we stand and sing in just a moment our closing song that you will hold us fast. That God, that that would be our hope and our anchor this morning, Lord. Not in any type of white-knuckle determination that I'm going to try to do better doing these things, but no, that our hope and our anchor would be that you have saved us, you have redeemed us, you are holding us, you love us, and you will work in us things that we can never imagine you could have worked in. But for your glory and for our good, we ask it in Jesus' name. And would you stand as we sing our closing song about Christ holding us fast.
Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raise with him to witness light. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned aside. When he comes and Thank you.